Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Good morning, gorgeous. How are you ladies doing this morning? I hope you're doing fantastic. Welcome to the Dr. Daff Show. I'm your host, Dr. Daff, and we're continuing our series, Fascinating Womanhood. Now, I want to let you know that this will be the final episode of Fascinating Womanhood that is available for everyone. These podcasts are now going to be for subscribers only. So if you want to be a subscriber, on this platform, then click the link below. There is a charge of $2.99 per month to access all of my exclusive content. Now, that's not even enough to buy you a cup of coffee. So it's very, I priced it very, very low on purpose because I wanted you to be able to do this without it being a strain financially for you because I know that this information is really important, but I want it for the people who actually really want it and who really want to invest into their marriage and gain wisdom. And those people are going to do whatever it takes. And I am so grateful. But again, I'm so grateful for those of you who are supporting this podcast and paying so much money each month just to support it and support me. I am so blessed by your generosity and I thank you so much for that. But again, I am turning that off. So right now you're not able to just donate to me, but the subscription is available now for all of you who are interested in fascinating womanhood. I thank you so much for all of your love and all of your support. We are continuing our book, Fascinating Womanhood, where we're going to talk today about how you can be the ideal woman and awaken a man's deepest and most tender love towards you. This book is written by Helen Andelin, and we're continuing the chapter about learning how to accept your husband, accept your man for the man that he is. Now, before we talk about this, I do want to mention something. When I first, first, first read this book, I cried. (laughs) I wept to the Lord because it really just showed me how many areas of my life I needed to improve on. And it hurt 
to know that I wasn't perfect and that even though I thought that I was so great and I was such a great wife and whatever, that I actually lacked in quite a few areas. And I already knew that I lacked in those areas. But hearing how important it was made me so sad. (laughs) I'm just being honest. It made me sad because I'm like, why do I struggle in this so much? I know how important it is. But that opened a door for God to really help me in those areas. And the more that I truly, genuinely desired to be the beautiful feminine woman that he created me to be, the more that I sincerely asked God to show me, to open my eyes in my day-to-day life and show me the areas where I can improve, he started doing that. And it then became my own desire to be better in certain areas that I just kind of wanted to pretend did not exist. So I just want to encourage you and let you know, like, don't feel down on yourself if you feel like you're not the ideal woman to a man or maybe you thought you were doing such a great job but you see that there are so many things that you're lacking in because it's a matter of time it's just a process but truly i know you hear this a lot in psychology truly everything begins with you recognizing that there is a problem and accepting that you need to change once you are able to truly admit that you have an issue that is the beginning of you opening the door to changing. So just keep that in mind because this for me was very personal. I felt very, very hurt by a lot of the things that were in this book. But ultimately, I changed those things with the help of God. And now I am so much happier. I'm actually proud of myself. Like I can actually say that I'm not doing these things strictly for my husband to believe that I'm the ideal wife. But I actually feel proud of myself because I know how far I've come and I know that these things actually do make our marriage and our home so much better. So with that being said, today we're talking about how you can accept your husband for the man that he is, but specifically we're talking about how you can help a man to change because we talked about things that maybe aren't working or maybe are an issue for him and you may really want those things to be different, but how can you help him change? How can you be that support that's also pushing him to be the man that you know he's capable of being? That is part of your job. You are a helper. The Lord made you as a woman to be a helper to a man. So how can you help him without destroying your marriage? (laughs) I want you to go ahead and sit back, my love, get something warm and cozy to drink, get something to write with, and let's talk about this. If you accept a man at face value, is there any hope that he will change? He may not, and you need to accept this fact. But in a miraculous way, when you accept him at face value, he is more likely to change. Others may try to teach him and offer suggestions, but the woman he loves must accept him for the man that he is and look at his better side. So if you want more information about accepting him at face value, then listen to my previous podcast on this book where I go into detail about accepting him. Let's talk about some ways that you can help encourage him to change in a feminine way. 
The first way is to give him his freedom. Give that man his freedom to be himself. Allow him to do what he wants to do, what he feels strongly and passionate about in his heart to do. Let him do it. Let him pursue his own interests. If he wants to collect bottles, if he wants to fish, if he wants to golf, if he wants to be in a bowling group, if he wants to be part of some kind of a book club or video game club, let him pursue his own interests. Things that are different from the interests that you have together. If you have zero interest in it, that's great. He has his own thing that he can pursue on his own. Let him. When he's given this personal freedom, his mind will function without barriers. And then he'll be more receptive to new ideas that are not his own. He'll be more encouraged to be his better self. A lot of times we as wives get into this habit of nagging men to be different in terms of what they think is fun or interesting, especially if you feel like what he's doing is childish, like playing video games. It's easy to just kind of like roll your eyes whenever you walk past him and he's playing those games or complain that he's always playing video games. It's easy to sort of get upset with him when he's buying things that are connected to his interests. Maybe he's already bought enough golf clubs, but he's buying more and you don't understand why he's spending all this money on this because those things are very expensive. You may just not want to hear him out when he's talking about those interests. And so these are just like different subtle ways of you not allowing him to have freedom It's by you shutting him out like with a wall. So if he has an interest in, say, 1940s fashion, right, something you're just like, what in the world? And he wants to dress like this because that's what he thinks is unique and interesting. When he wants to talk about it, you may just shut him out and you may just look at him with a blank face as he's talking because you just cannot wait for this conversation to end. That's another way of just denying him that freedom to pursue something that you just think is totally ridiculous or something that you just cannot connect with. So give him his freedom, allow him to enjoy it. And you don't have to be all like gun ho and so excited about it, but have a demeanor where it just says that's his thing. Yeah, that's his thing. And let that be that. Appreciate his better side. So if you also give him praise when he's doing anything, that helps him to gain more confidence in himself and to think that he's so great with certain things. That helps him. You praising him with things at home will translate into the workplace. When he gets used to what she calls a steady diet of praise, when he gets used to that, he will not only appreciate it, but he's going to look for more ways to get more of it because praise can be one of those very addictive things, which is why people get really addicted to like gambling and things of that nature, because it makes us feel good. We get that adrenaline rush. We get that dopamine kick. We get that feeling of joy when people say nice things about us, when they compliment our strengths and we want to do more of it. So you'll see him doing more and more of what you praise him with. It can also help to motivate him to overcome his weaknesses and become a better man. Appreciation can help a man, a child, or any individual grow to a higher potential. And she'll talk more about this in the next chapter. 
Also, when you just apply everything that she has in this book, that's what she's saying. When you apply all of the fascinating womanhood principles and teachings in a miraculous way, your husband's faults will tend to disappear. So it's not just one or two things. You're going to have to really get through the book and incorporate all of these things. And then those things will help him to change on his own without you really having to do much. So let's talk a little bit more about a man's freedom. Because freedom is necessary for men. And it starts when they're children, as little boys. Giving them freedom is part of your help as a parent to allow him to be who he's supposed to be, to give him that right to just create himself and not stagnate him in ways that you think are best for him. Because God already put inside of us who we're supposed to be. And we manifest that. And our parents are the ones that nurture and encourage us and see our strengths and give us more things to be able to excel in the things that we already see blooming. That's how you're a good parent. You don't just put your own desires on your children. You give them the freedom to bloom. And then you say, oh, okay, I kind of see that he likes this. Okay, let me put him in these lessons or let me get him some mentors in this area. Let me get him some books in this and let's see if he gravitates towards it or if he pushes it away. You're watching, you're learning, but you're giving them the freedom to say, I don't like this. This is not fun for me. I don't enjoy this. Yeah, I may be good at it, but I don't enjoy it. And following their lead in that way. So as a man, there is that same sense of movement where you're watching him, you're seeing what he likes, but you're encouraging him to have the freedom to do what he wants. You don't want him to be your shadow. You don't want him to be up under you. He's not your servant and your slave. He's his own person who decided to join himself with you to create a life together. Let him still have the part of him that he had before he met you. Free agency is one of the most fundamental laws of life. Mankind does not develop or experience happiness without it. God was fully aware of this principle when he created man and placed him on the earth. He allowed the forces of evil to be present, to tempt him and to try him. And he knew from the beginning that many of the precious souls of men would fall into sin and reap the bitterness which comes from disobedience. But he also knew that without freedom, mankind could not grow and develop. Man has to be given a choice and make that choice himself. If God could risk man's future happiness in order to extend to him his precious freedom, a woman should allow her husband this same privilege. Let him do what he wants to do and be what he wants to be without interference. A man is particularly in need of religious freedom. That is so important. That's spiritual. That's personal. And we talked about this a little bit in the last chapter. And I've talked about this before, about how important it is for you to allow a man to have religious freedom because God himself, the creator of the universe, (laughs) allows us to have this choice on our own He does not push himself on us. I don't know if you remember, if you've listened to the podcast that I did where I interviewed a young woman who was into witchcraft and she was playing around in in all of the demonic things and she went to a fortune teller to get like a palm reading about her future and the lady was reading her palm and then she stopped 
Do you remember that? If you haven't listened to that podcast, it's her name is Gina, Gina Gomez. And you can go back and listen to it. That podcast is so powerful. I remember I wept when she told me this story. But she says that when the lady was reading her palm, she stopped and she's like, oh, there's some interference going on here spiritually. And she said, God wants to talk to you. And Jaden was like, God. And she says, yes. Do you know God? The God of the Bible? Yes, God. He says that he wants to talk to you. Do you want to talk to him? And she says, no, because she was very bitter with God. So because she said no, then God didn't talk to her. God was such a gentleman to ask first and allow her the freedom to say yes or no. And when she said no, he said, okay, that's your decision. God does not force himself on us. But what was so interesting was the fact that even this this fortune teller, tarot card reader, you know, this person in the demonic world, she even knew who God was. Everyone knows who God is. Everyone knows who God is. Maybe they don't respect him. They're ignorant. They're in darkness. But everyone knows who God is. Ladies, before we continue, I want to share my fragrance line with you, Fine Forever. Fine Forever is a fragrance line with a promise. It is a blessed luxury fragrance line that promotes the promises of God. Each fragrance is tied to a biblical scripture to remind you that with God, you will be fine forever. We launched our first fragrance, 2911, after the scripture, Jeremiah 29:11, which talks about the plans God has for your life. This fragrance is rich, deep, mysterious, and feminine. It will surely turn heads and become a signature scent for you. We also have our Faith Collection, which introduces two beautiful fragrances that are unique and memorable. Silent Storm and Mustard Seed. Mustard Seed is a fresh, delicate, and bright aquatic floral fragrance, and it's reminiscent of a warm beach on a tropical sea. Silent Storm is a decadent gourmand fragrance that portrays youthful femininity. Silent Storm is rich, smooth, and refined. Visit the website www.fineforever.com you can use the code Dr. Daff for 20% off of your fragrance. Thank you so much for your love, your kindness, and your support. Now, back to our episode. I just thought that was an interesting point to bring up because God does not force himself on us in any way, shape, or form, but he gives us invitations. So you yourself should not be doing that if the Lord and Savior of this world doesn't do that with us. Men are also really touchy about religious freedom. And so they will even resist a gentle hint, even a gentle hint, they will resist it. And I get quite a few messages about this. I get a lot of messages from women asking me about this question of when they're dating this man who is not of the same religion or who maybe calls himself a Christian, but they're into 
other forms that don't make sense to them. And they're wondering, what should I do? Because now it's causing tension. We're arguing more. Should I stay with this person? Should I not stay with this person? And these women are always Christian women asking me this question. And so my answer is always, first, you take it to God. You take it to God. You don't need to ask anyone any questions unless you have talked to God first. Talk to God first. Wait for an answer. And if you talk to someone after, more than likely God will give that person some information to maybe give to you. But always start with God. Let him plant that in your heart. Let him answer your question. So once you pray about it, then always go back to the word of God because that is, that's your compass. And there's every answer to every question in that book. The answer to that question is you are not the same. You are not equally yoked. You both have different beliefs, different fundamental beliefs that will inevitably cause issues. It doesn't mean those issues cannot be rectified at some point, or maybe he will convert, but it will cause so many problems to yourself and to your children. There will be confusion. There will be strife. There will be a lot of unnecessary issues. And there are too many men in this world for you to be fighting and stressed out over something that means so much to you when God can provide you someone else. If you really trust God and you really have faith in God in that kind of way, then you know God can bring you anything. God can bring you anything. God can bring you anyone at any moment from anywhere. (laughs) He can have a man move tomorrow from Zimbabwe, the finest man you've ever seen in your life with the best manners, very wealthy, just everything you could have ever imagined. He could make a man like that move from Zimbabwe tomorrow into your city and run into you at the gas station. That's the kind of God we serve. Anything is possible. Nothing is impossible when it comes to God. So if you have full trust in God, then you know that if he says don't do something, just don't do it and ask him to guide you and trust him with your life. Trust him with your relationships. If you're not married already, then If you're not equally yoked with a man, if the man and you are of two different religious backgrounds, in my opinion, and by the word of God, it is not good for you. It is not good for you. And it is, you're asking for problems. Maybe you're pushing those problems underneath the surface now, but later on, they're going to pop back up and destroy everything. If you're married, then of course, it's a different circumstance. And it's one where you do have to, again, go to the Bible to figure out how you sort of win your husband to Christ. But she does talk about it in this book. Again, men are so touchy about religious freedom that they resist even a gentle hint. For example, on Sunday morning, a young wife sweetly asks her husband, are you planning to attend church this morning? And this irritates him so much that he just stays home to claim his freedom. He has nothing against his church, but if he had attended, he wanted it to be his idea. As soon as she stopped hinting, he began to attend more regularly. When you attempt to drive a man to church, you're most likely going to drive him away. And I'm not going to go too deep into this because I actually just talked about this 
in my other book club that I'm doing about disciplines of a godly woman. I talked about this very thing because this is just an issue all around. Men do not like being pressured to go to church. And that's why you look at churches and there's barely any men in it because they don't want that. They want it to be their own idea, their own choice. And it's better to just go along with what your, your plans are. And if he decides he wants to join you, then he'll join you or he'll come later or, you know, he'll figure it out. But if you do that, then you're only going to drive him away. Another area that she talks about is provoking a man to righteousness. An early religious teaching states that a woman should provoke her husband to righteousness. It is her duty. What does this mean? At the time this religious instruction was given, the dictionary meaning of the word provoke was to inspire, to incite. It would be assumed then that a woman should provoke her husband to righteousness by her example and spiritual influence. The problem is that today, women misinterpret this earlier teaching. Dictionaries of today define the word provoke as to nettle or to push, which is not what the early teaching meant. This method never works. When a woman pushes her husband to church, she usually drives him away. So instead, what can you do about that, my dear? Well, the two things you can do is you can pray for him and pray for God to help you with this and pray for God to put a conviction in in his heart to get into church. There are also some men, I hate this, I really hate this, but the truth is there are some men that won't go to church unless they're going through problems. And that's the worst because you don't want there to have to be problems for you to go to church. Like, why would you want to invite problems in your life? But for some men, that's the only way to drive them to church is if there's a problem. Granted, it is nice that For some men, they will go to church on certain religious holidays because that's how they grew up. So they'll go on Easter, they'll go on Christmas, and maybe by them going on that one day, it will encourage them to continue. That's the hope, but it's not always the case. Another thing that you can also do is just watch your actions, watch your attitude towards him, because with men, that's really the primary way of influencing them. And that's what the Bible directs for you to do, is that by your godly influence on him, by the way you treat him, by the way you treat other people, by the way that you take care of yourself and the households, this is what lets him know that you're living by a different standard and you'll attribute the way that you treat him and other people to your God. And that's what makes him say, well, maybe I need to know about this God because if this God can make a woman like this, maybe there's something here. And I know in your mind, you may think like, how does that work? Like, that doesn't make sense to me. That's not going to make him change. Well, this is the word of God. So God may have put something special within us as humans that drives us to him in that kind of way. It's not for you to try to dissect and figure out. It's for you to trust God and trust the word that he gave us that this works (laughs) and have faith and do your part. Methods women use to change men. Sometimes 
women try to change men by force in this form of demands, ultimatums, or threats. Usually, however, they resort to pushy suggestions, criticism, disapproval, or nagging, or they'll use subtle methods such as moral pressure, disapproval, a carefully worded suggestion, or a gentle hint. And some women will try to change a man by simply using another man as an example, which is awful. But sometimes women will say, well, you know, my uncle, he always gets out of the car and pumps the gas for his wife. Hmm, must be nice, right? Little things like that. And it's like, okay, I know what you're doing here. I know what you're doing here. You'll talk about your friend. Well, Samantha's husband got her a push present when she got pregnant. Or maybe you did get a present, but it wasn't the one you wanted. So you'll say, well, Jeanette's husband got her a car when she had a baby. And I've had four babies. And what have I got? (laughs) A purse, you know, and these things kind of just make him super resentful and angry with you. And that comparison will usually make him dislike the person you're comparing him to. So God forbid you use your father or you use someone that he's going to continuously see because he will definitely have resentment towards that person usually. But if it's a friend or someone else, he may just say, oh, I don't want to be around him then. Or if he's really petty or immature or just explosive, he may just be like, well, then why aren't you dating him? Or, oh my goodness. Or if he's super, super petty, he may say, well, that's because Jeanette looks good. That's because Jeanette looks good. Look at you. I mean, you are literally opening the door for a fight when you when you do stuff like that. You're opening the door for drama. So you don't need to compare. It's really unnecessary. It doesn't work. It just hurts everyone's feelings because we're not the same. And you really don't always know what's going on in someone's household, even if you think you do. Then there's the issue of self-righteousness. Oh, this one is major. This one's major. And I don't know if you've thought about this one, but When you try to improve your husband, you reveal a serious flaw in your character, the fault of self-righteousness. You indicate that you consider yourself better than him. You may think that you are more righteous, more diligent in living your religion, or more faithful in attending religious duties. This same attitude of self-righteousness was observed among the Sadducees and the Pharisees in the Bible times. They were proud of their faithfulness to attend church and pay tithes and pray and read the scriptures and fast and observe the Sabbath and attend to any number of rituals. The Savior, Jesus, condemned them, not for their faithfulness, but because of their self-righteous attitude about their faithfulness. When you criticize or condemn your husband, you take the position of being a judge. But are you qualified to judge his worth? Are you a better person than him? When a woman complained to me of her husband's faults, some of them were serious. I asked her, do you really think that you're a better person than him? She looked at me with indignation. Then, after quiet meditation, lowered her head and humbly said, no, I don't think I'm a better person than my husband. I know that he's a fine person at heart. So I want you to think about that. Think about your life. For those of you who are trying to change your husbands, for those of you who think that your husbands are so awful, for those of you whose husbands are just not into God the way that you are, think about that. Yes, maybe in this particular category, he's not where he should be. But are you better than him? Are you a better person than him? 
Is your heart better than his? I really want you to think about that because we put ourselves on this pedestal sometimes where we act like he's the worst person ever because he doesn't pray, he doesn't fast, he doesn't do the things you're doing. You're spiritually holding this family up with your rituals and he does nothing. And so you look down on him and all you can think about is the day that he will give his life to Christ. Well, that's fantastic. We want that. But what we don't want is you to think you're better than him in some way for you to look down on him because of these things, because you're not. You balance each other out in different ways, but you're not the judge. The only judge is God. He is a judge that sits on that seat. Do you know who you're acting like when you act like that? You're acting like the devil because that's exactly what the devil does. That's actually exactly what he does. He's the accuser of the brethren. He literally goes to God each day with charges against you and accuses you to God and says, Denisha lied today at work and told her boss that she was sick and she wasn't. She deserves punishment. What are you going to do about it, God? He's the accuser. He's accusing you. He'll say she's a liar. You said you punish liars. What are you going to do about that, God? And thank God for Jesus because he's our advocate. He's the one that comes in and says, okay, well, I shed this blood for Denisha. I'm her savior. She's claimed me. And because of that, I'm going to pull out some scriptures (laughs) that talk about this very thing. And then God, the righteous judge says, case dismissed. But you're acting like the devil. You're accusing him. You're pointing out every awful, horrible thing about him because you want him to pay. And that's not your role. I don't want that to be your role anyway. You're definitely not judge, but I don't want you to be his accuser either. Now do you see why this book made me cry? (laughs) Now let's talk about feelings of superiority. This kind of goes hand in hand. Similar to self-righteousness, a feeling of superiority can come in play. And excuse me because my son ripped this page out of my book. He ripped it out and I'm trying to glue it back together to read it. You may consider yourself more intelligent or better educated, more skilled, more alert, more careful, more clever, more successful than he. You may come from a better family background, one with more money and more status. And with this view of yourself, you may take the initiative to shape him up to your standards. If you want a good marriage, don't count the worth of these things in your favor or flaunt them before him, making him feel inferior. There's always balance. That balance and those differences is what creates the juxtaposition, the harmony in the marriage. Learn to appreciate the things that really count. The next time you are troubled about your husband's faults, say to yourself, he has this fault, but he's better than me in other ways. The key here is acceptance. The key to acceptance is humility, realizing our own human frailties and limitations, and therefore looking to ourselves for change. Cast out the beam from your own eye first, that we may more clearly see the mote in our brother's eye. Okay, this is actually from the Bible. That's what she's quoting. Okay, take out the log in your own eye first before trying to take the little speck out of your brother's eye. That's another interpretation of it. Before you start pointing out someone else's flaws, fix your own. Because yours may be way bigger than the little thing you're trying to take out of someone else's. The biggest thing here is to repent. 
And what that means is to change your thinking, to change your ways. For those of you who are judging your husbands and wanting your husbands to change in these ways, first, you change. That's what this book is really about. First, you change. You change and then you influence him by your changes to be the person that you know he can be. This is not easy and it's not supposed to be easy. What you're asking him to do is not easy either. I guarantee you, if you asked him, if you're perfect, the answer will be no. And I'm sure most of you wouldn't even want to hear what your husband has to say about you. So continue this conversation with God. I know you want your marriage to work and it will work and it will get better. The start to that is humility. You go to God in your own time and you sit down with God and you ask God to tell you areas that you need to do better in areas that you're judging him in, you're accusing him in. Let him bring it to your heart, to your mind. And repent. Ask for forgiveness for judging your husband. But also ask for strength for God to build you up, to be able to deal with those things in the way that he wants you to deal with them. Ask God to show you how he wants you to deal with those things. Because again, some of these things are unacceptable. But what's the best way to deal with them without ruining your marriage? So next week, we'll talk a little bit about changing him and the areas that you absolutely should consider changing him in. Because again, I'm not saying that your husband has a right to be the way that he is when he's doing things that are clearly serious problems. But the key here is you not getting yourself into a place where you're hyper focused on his flaws that you can't live your life, that you can't enjoy your husband as your husband. He's supposed to be a blessing to you and you're supposed to be a blessing to him. He's supposed to thank God for you and you're supposed to thank God for him. And if you're not feeling that way, then there needs to be some work on both ends. But let's start with you. Let God work on you. Let this year be about you. And from there, you will see a change with your husband. Of course, prayer is going to always have to be involved. Because we live in a spiritual world and these spiritual entities are doing their thing. Whenever I go into a fast for my husband and a prayer for him and I start praying for him and really giving up food and doing whatever I need to do spiritually, immediately I see a change. And I'm just like, it makes me upset sometimes. I literally get upset because I'm like, I cannot believe how much spiritual activity is actually affecting our marriage. Like, It's shocking to know that some of these things wouldn't even be here, but there's something spiritually affecting it. But it's a reminder of how much is going on that we're not taking control over and also how much power you have in your hands to make a difference, to make a change. So I want to encourage you in that way. And I want you to try to think about these things and work on these things. And I'm here to help and guide you along the way. I want you to have beautiful marriages. I want you to have a romantic marriage again. I want you to just look at your husband and see love when you look at him. And I want him to look at you and see love. So I hope that this podcast was a blessing to you. Thank you for listening and being here. Have a beautiful rest of your day. And in all things you do, make a feminine impression. Bye-bye.